Well, last Sunday morning, and again this morning, I want to talk to you about the subject of how to love God with all of your heart. The Bible talks about us loving Him in Psalm or in Matthew 22. In verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. We want to love the Lord the way He wants us to love Him. And as we spoke about that last week, there were some things that I emphasized that I want to just review for a moment. And on the back of your bulletin, there's some notes there, and I filled out the things that we covered last week, and then we'll pick up for the last part of that this week. But we talked about the fact of what is the opposite of love. We talk about loving the Lord with all of our heart. What is the opposite of love? Most of us, our first response would be the opposite of love is hate. And that is an accurate statement when it comes to the matter of loving good and hating evil. We ought to love good and we ought to hate evil. But when it comes to people, the opposite of love is fear. However, God says in His Word in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, He says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So when we love the Lord with all of our heart, that perfect love casts out fear. There is, there is a fear of God that we all have. Not that we fear Him in the sense that He's going to pound on us or hurt us if we don't do everything exactly like He wants. But that fear, is a, it's a reverential trust. We know who God is. We love Him. We know what He did for us. He sent His Son to die on the cross to pay our sin debt. And when we have that love for God, it drives out the fear, the wrong kind of fear that we should have in our lives. Imperfect love is based on expectations what we expect from other people. And the fear that we have is because they do not oftentimes fulfill those expectations. When people violate our trust and when they violate what we expect and don't fulfill those expectations, if we aren't careful, our imperfect love can turn into bitterness and even to hatred. However, by understanding that the opposite of fear is perfect love, then we can take wise steps in our life to transform that fear. Perfect love is the quality of love that God has set for us. And God's love for us is agape love. It is a love that has no expectations of personal gain. You ever think God doesn't need anything from us? He's got everything He needs. He's self-sufficient. And yet He still loves us. And God knows that we will only be able to transform fear if we have that kind of a love, that agape love for God, and then we show it towards other people. And so God tells us, and we talked about it a little bit last week, that God wants us to love Him, He says, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. We're to love the Lord from our heart. That's the level of love that Peter had. Uh, before Jesus demonstrated what true love was to Peter. You remember Peter in his, his love for the Lord, his love was a phileo love, but it, he was confident in his love. He was so confident that he stood and he said to Jesus, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. Lord, I love you so much, I'll never be offended before, uh, because of you. 
And yet before the day was over, Peter denied the Lord three times. And sometimes we hear of people who call themselves Christians and say, oh, I love God, and yet they don't live for God. There's no godliness in their life, and they're much like Peter. Before the day's over, they would deny the Lord. You see, that's, that's a, a love that is human. It's not that agape love. In fact, when we love the Lord just with our heart, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And our heart has a tendency to have competing affections in our heart. The Lord said, I want you to love me with all of your heart and your mind and your soul. James said in James 4, verses 4 and 5, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy with God. God wants us to seek Him and to love Him singularly and not to allow other things in our life to pull us away. He doesn't want us to be what He calls adulterers and adulteresses. He wants to be first in our life. He said in Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye... First the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we're to love Him with all of our heart, and we're to love Him with all of our mind, and, the, the, and with all of our soul. We talked a little bit last week about that word mind, which is what the Bible word calls reigns. We're to love Him with our reins. Our reins is our, our innermost being. It is what sometimes people call our gut brain, you might say. And you know, it's interesting, the Lord says a lot about our reins. In Revelation 2, 23, He says, I am He that searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. One of the obvious purposes of God's search, searching us, our reins and our hearts, is to see if we really love Him with that agape love. Not a love like Peter that would deny Him before the day was over, a love that was fickle, a love that was not true, but a love that comes from God Himself. And by the way, we can't really love God that way unless He helps us and enables us to do so. So we said last week, just by way of beginning, there, were, there are two things. One we spent our time on last week. If we're going to love the Lord with all of our heart, our mind, and our soul, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Filled with His Spirit. There's a lot of ideas in our world today about being filled with the Spirit, a lot of false ideas about it. I want you to look over at Acts chapter 1 with me for a minute and see what God says about it there, about being filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. And it is not a matter of how much of the Spirit you get when you get saved. It is a matter of how much of you He controls. God wants to control you and me. And He wants us to allow Him to take the reins of our life. He doesn't force His way into anybody's life. He doesn't make anybody love Him. He doesn't make anybody live for Him. He gives us a free will and we have those choices that we make. And so the point of being filled with the Spirit is not me getting more of the Spirit. It's the the Spirit getting more of me, more control of me. Look at what he says in Acts chapter 1. In verse number 1, he says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach 
Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, writes for us the book of Acts, and he talks about the former treatise, which was the book of Luke. And in verse 2 he says, Until the day in which he was taken up, Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again, he was seen of the disciples and others, and then he was taken up into heaven. So he says, Until the day that he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Now notice verse 3 of Acts 1, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Jesus showed himself alive after his resurrection by many infallible uh, proofs. Things that were not able to be disproved. They were infallible. They were true. And he says, being seen of them 40 days. So after the Lord rose from the dead, for 40 days he was around here on earth, around his people. And they saw him and they talked with him and spent time with him. In fact, he says, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So he's talking to them about his kingdom. In verse 4 he says, Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which which, which saith he, ye have heard of me. So he's meeting with them. He tells them to wait for the promise of the Father. Verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Baptism with water, let me just say this, does not save you. Water baptism is a public testimony of our having put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When we baptize a person in water, we take them under the water. That's a picture of the death and burial of Jesus Christ. We bring them up out of the water. That's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When I got baptized, I was publicly saying to everybody else, I believe Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose again for me. And when you get saved, the first commandment for you as a new believer is to follow the Lord in baptism. He says in Matthew 20, 28, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So he says, John baptized water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. After we get saved, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit of God into the family of God. And that takes place when we trust Christ as our Savior. Now, stay with me. Look at verse number 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So here's Jesus. He died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He spends 40 days with his people. And he's getting ready to go back. He's told them that he's going to go back to heaven. You know what they're saying? When are you coming back? How many of you have had relatives come to see you and you hadn't seen them for a long time? They stay a little while and then they're leaving and some of the times you say, don't come back. No, you say, when are you coming back? (laughs) The disciples are saying, Lord, when are you coming back? There's a lot of people talking about he's coming back right now, aren't they? We see all this going on in Israel. Israel is God's timetable. You keep your eyes on Israel and watch Israel. One of the things we have to watch right now is all of the war that's going on. If all of the other nations gather together and come down against Israel, then then we know we're getting pretty close. Keep your eye on Israel and what's happening there. But a lot of people are saying the same thing. Boy, we're getting close. Anytime. The Lord could come back today. And He could. Jesus said, in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. 
He's coming at any moment. Could be today. Wouldn't bother me a bit. It would thrill me if he came today. Wouldn't interrupt my plans. And so listen to what he said. They said, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And look at what Jesus said, verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. He said, it's not, it, it, you don't need to know when I'm coming back. The Father will take care of that. It's in his hands. So in a sense, he said to them, don't worry about when I'm coming back. We ought to be looking and be ready. He tells us that in a number of other places. But he said, don't worry about what, when I'm coming back. Now notice, he hasn't gone yet. Here's what I want you to be concerned with, verse number 8. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The Lord said, I, you're worried about when I'm coming back. Don't worry about that. Here's what I want you to do. He said, you're going to be witnesses for me until I do come back. You see, the important thing for us right now, whatever's going on in our world, God has us here so that we can help other people get prepared and ready to go be with the Lord. And so he said, you shall receive power. We can't do that in our own power. But God gives us the power. How does he do that? You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of, the, out of their sight. So the last thing he said is, you're going to be witnesses. You're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to be witnesses to me. And verse 10, while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, that's what all of us would have been doing. If we were there and Jesus was talking to us and he went up, we would have been going just like this. And we'd have been watching him until we couldn't see him anymore, wouldn't we? Some of you have gone to the airport when your loved ones, it was a child, maybe it was a spouse, they were flying somewhere and you went over to a window and you watched that plane take off and you watched it until you couldn't see it anymore. And that's what the disciples were doing. They were watching Jesus until he was out of sight. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. These two men said, That same Jesus that you just saw go up, he's going to come back the same way one of these days going to come back. Now, don't have time to explain all of it, but he's actually coming back twice according to the book of Revelation. The first time he comes back for his children, he won't come all the way back to the earth the first time. He comes in the clouds, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're caught up to be with him. And then seven years later, he comes back to the earth. And that's when he sets up his kingdom here on this earth. So he said, this same Jesus shall so come again in like manner, verse 11, as ye have seen him go. Verse 12, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which was from Jerusalem a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room 
where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. Now notice verse 14. These all continued with one accord. One of the most important things for the church of Jesus Christ today is that we have that one accord and one spirit. They continued in one accord in, what's the next thing? Prayer and supplication. Notice the emphasis on prayer. They were praying. They're praying. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So here they are. The Lord's gone up. He said, you're going to receive power, and you'll be witnesses. Now look at chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with, what's the next two words? One accord. Still got that one. It's not a Honda. They weren't in a car. They were in one spirit, in one accord, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Let me just stop and say this before I read on. There's only ever been one Pentecost, and there will never be another Pentecost, okay? The Holy Spirit came one time. Now, there's a number of cases when the Spirit came on individual people throughout the book of Acts. Acts is a transitional thing, and we won't get into all of that today, but look at verse number 3. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them. It says, cloven tongues like as fire. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with, what's the next two words? Other tongues. And the Spirit, as the Spirit gave them utterance, they spoke with other tongues. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now why did they speak in other tongues? Because there were people here from all the other nations. Look at verse number 6. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. There were people there from all the different countries of the world. And an amazing thing has happened. Jesus has died. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended back into heaven. He sends His Holy Spirit to give them boldness and power to be witnesses about Jesus Christ. And here are these people from all the different countries of the world, and God did on that day the opposite of what He did at the Tower of Babel back in Genesis. In Genesis, everybody spoke one language, and God confounded the languages, and they didn't understand each other. And the different language groups got together and got together with those that they did understand. God confounded the languages. Why? Because man said, we're going to be like God. We're going to build a tower up to heaven. And, and God said, no, you're not. And God dealt with the situation. And now he does the opposite. He has people from all the different nations of the world and they're brought together and God says they all heard in their own language, in their own tongue. They heard the gospel. Why? What an amazing way to take the gospel and send it to the rest of the world because all these people are going to go home. They heard the gospel and 3,000 people got saved on that day and they went back home as witnesses to all the different parts of the world. An amazing thing that God did on the day of Pentecost. Every man heard in his own language. Look at verse 7. 
And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Let me, let me just stop and say this. They heard in their own tongue. Whenever people today talk about speaking in tongues, they're usually talking about some heavenly language. That's not what this passage says. It says they heard in their own tongue. They heard in a language they understood. <clears throat> so that they could be saved and so that they could take the gospel back. And he tells the languages, Par Par Parthians and Medes and Elimelites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judah and Cappadocia, and he names all of them down through there, Egypt. Libya talks about Rome and so forth. Cretes, Arabians, verse 11, verse 12. Verse 12 says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These are men of full, full of new wine. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as ye suppose them. It is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and, and fire and vapor and smoke. You know, it's interesting. The people who believe in tongues, and I'm not fussing with them or arguing with them, but just simply say this, if that passage means that you, you got tongues like they teach today, then where is the signs in heaven? Where is the blood and the fire and the vapor of smoke? The sun turned into darkness, the moon turned into blood, verse 20, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. You can't just pick and choose. You can't pick out this and say, I believe in this, and say, well, that doesn't apply to this, that's something else. You've got to take it in the context in which it's given. Verse 21, here's the thing. Here's the point of the whole thing, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What did chapter 1, verse 8 say? Ye shall receive power, and ye shall be witnesses. Witnesses. What are we witnesses of? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the message that God wants us to take. And in this world today, and when we see all that's going on in Israel and the world around us, yes, it makes us think that we're getting close to the time when the Lord is coming, and we're watching and we're waiting. But don't forget, that's not the most important thing right now. The most important thing is... Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is we're to go out and be witnesses and tell other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are filled with God's Holy Spirit, we will be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to very quickly give you the second thing. As we love God with all our heart, we're filled with His Spirit, and we are witnesses as we take the gospel out. But the second thing then is, how does God's Spirit relate to His Word? You see, God wants me to be filled with His Spirit. He also wants me to be filled with His Word. How does the Spirit relate to the Word? There's some important reasons why filling of God's Spirit and filling with God's Word are related. First of all, the Spirit of God wrote the Word of God. This Bible is the inspired Word of God. It is not man's book. This is God's book. 
He wrote it. 1 Peter 1.21 says, For the prophecy came not of old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The author of our Bible is God Himself. The Holy Spirit of God. And we must remember, this is the only book that God ever wrote, and it ought to be the most important book in our life. Spirit wrote the book. Secondly, the Spirit of God knows the secrets of God's Word. So if I'm going to understand God's Word, then I need His Spirit. When I get saved, His Spirit comes to live within me, and He helps me to know the secrets of His Word. 1 Corinthians 2.7 says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. As I am filled with God's Holy Spirit, it is His Holy Spirit that helps me to understand His Word and to be able to apply it to my life and share it with other people. And then thirdly, the Spirit of God teaches us how to present truth. It is a mistake to compare God's Word to man's philosophies that leave Christ out. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 say, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words with man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The Holy Spirit helps me to be able to teach, to tell, to help others to understand the Word of God. And then the Spirit of God gives discernment of the Scripture. It helps me to understand. You see, God's Word is not intellectually understood. God's Word is spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man, that's the unsaved man, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The unsaved man can't know the Word of God because you only know it and understand it by the Spirit. They're spiritually discerned. We learn that through the the Holy Spirit of God. He gives us discernment. You ever had somebody say to you, well, I've read the Bible, but I just don't understand it. Usually I want to, I think, well, how much have you read? Oh, I read a verse one time. (laughs) But when people read God's Word and don't understand, and there's some things, and granted, we're all learning, amen? Amen. There are things sometimes we don't understand, but it's the Holy Spirit of God helps us to understand. And the reason many times people do not understand is because they don't have the Spirit. They've not been saved. They've not been born again. And the Spirit of God doesn't live within them to help them to understand. Spirit of God gives discernment. And then the Spirit of God will direct us to all truth. The Holy Spirit knows what Scripture we need in order to direct our lives and to make the right decisions in our life. And therefore, He will direct us to specific passages of Scripture at certain times in our life that will apply to what we're going through now. How many of you have had a situation when you were going through a difficult time and you're reading God's Word and and God just gave you a verse that you said, that's what I needed. Amen? He gave you, that's what we're talking about. The Spirit will direct you to the truth that you need for that particular time. In John 16, 13, he says, When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. 
For he shall not speak of himself. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit's job is not to magnify the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to magnify Jesus Christ. And he speaks of him and lifts up the Lord Jesus. Now that brings me to the third thing there on your notes, and that is we're to be filled with God's Word. I'm to be filled with the Spirit. I'm to be filled with God's Word, God's rhemas the passages of Scripture that He uses, that He leads me to. Be filled in your heart with God's rhemas. We need those rhemas, those passages of Scripture in our heart. David provided a wise example for all believers in filling our hearts with the rhemas, with those specific passages of God's Word. He said in Psalm 119 and verse 18, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, open my eyes. Let me see the things that I need from your word. The Apostle Paul gives us a similar request for believers. He said in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, he said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in His saints. David explains his desire for insights from the Word of God in Psalm 119 and verse 11. He said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God gives us specific words, specific passages. David was a man after God's own heart. And he sought the Lord with all of his heart and he built his life around the Word of God. And so we are to be filled with God's Spirit, but we also need to be filled with His Word. David meditated on the Word of God day and night. He said in Psalm 49 and verse 3, My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. In Psalm 19 verse 14, he said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Filled with the Word of God in our hearts. Filled with the Word of God in our soul. Victorious Christian life will only happen when we take every thought into captivity. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. We talked about it a little bit last week. Take every thought into captivity. That's difficult for us because the average person has anywhere between 50,000 and 80,000 thoughts every day. The only way to take every thought into captivity is to cleanse our mind daily with the Word of God. Amen. That's why David said, in his law doth he meditate day and night. In Psalm 63, verse 5 and 6, he said, My soul shall be satisfied with mara and fatness. My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. So we engraft the Word of God into our souls. James 1.21, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And then we're to be filled with the rhemas, not only in our heart and on our soul, but also in our mind or our reins. Our mind or our reins, our innermost being. The goal of filling the reins with God's rhema is to tear down those false fears. We talked about some of them last Sunday night. We'll talk about some more tonight. Those false fears that we inherit from Adam and the lies upon which those fears are based, only then will we have potential 
healthy and successful lives. With the power of genuine love and joy and peace, we can have that success in our life. So we deal with those fears that have come all the way back from Adam in our life. God warns us in Proverbs 16, verse 25, There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We cannot rely upon our own desires or our own thoughts. We must rely on the Word of God and what He says. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of, of strongholds. That's our inherited fears that we have. Casting down imagination and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There's a great reward for us as we conquer those fears and the lies that are in our reins, in our innermost being. When we fill it with the Word of God, God then gives us instruction and direction. And He most of the time gives that to us during those night watches when we're meditating on His Word. David said in Psalm 16, 7, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night watches. So as we come to the close this morning, I want to ask you this question, a couple of questions. Do you love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind? If you do, then the question is, are you filled with God's Spirit? Now, I could preach another whole message and a difference in being baptized by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. We're baptized by the Spirit in the body of Christ the moment we get saved. And we receive all of the Spirit we ever get. But as we're filled with that Spirit, that means He controls more of us, and more of us, and more of us as we yield our lives to Him and let Him control us. And the way that takes place in our life is, first of all, we ask God to fill us. But then secondly, we fill our minds with the Word of God. How much Word of God do you have in your mind and in your heart and in your reins, your innermost being? If we were to be captured like some of the Israelis were this week, or last, last week, last Saturday, if we were to be captured like they were, and we no longer had our Bible, how much of God's Word would you have? You'd only have what you've got here and here Amen. as you've built it into your heart and life. And the honest truth is, even though you can carry it with you, you still only have what's up here and what's here in your heart and what's in your range, your innermost being. Are we filled with God's Word? Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Thank You for the power that You give us and the boldness that You give us and the wisdom that you give us to be witnesses and to tell people that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To take the message of salvation. Yes, we're looking for your coming. Yes, we're praying even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. But may we be busy telling the gospel. Witnessing. Sharing our faith with others so that others can come to Christ. And we'll have the joy of spending eternity with you like we will. 
And then may we fill our minds and our souls and our reins with the Word of God. May this book we hold in our hands become so important to us that we will memorize and we will meditate. And we will allow you to speak to us and give us direction for our life as we build your Word in our hearts and lives. And then we can say we love the Lord with all of our heart and with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.